Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. Dave Denholm hanging out with you on the home of world football here in Southern California, and we appreciate you taking the time to join the show here. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Happy holidays. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours as we move on towards the Christmas season now. And soccer is the gift that keeps on giving, as always. What's on tap tonight on Soccer Weekly, sponsored by our great friends at Pocock Brewing. Visit PocockBrewing.com to see what's on tap right now in their tasting room. Pocock Brewing Company, embrace life, drink good beer. And I'm sure Pocock Brewing would be there right along with me saying, and watch great football, both the American and international version. And we're here to talk about soccer on Soccer Weekly here on ESPN LA 710, like we do every week, brought to you by Puente Hills Toyota. PuenteHillsToyota.com. Check them out for your new 2017 Toyota Camry LE and tell them the folks at Soccer Weekly and ESPN LA 710 sent you. Now, look, speaking of great football, the MLS playoffs are in full force, as you know, after taking a long, over two-week break. I was even, the break was so long I got the dates wrong on a show a couple of weeks ago here and somebody corrected me because it was just like, there's no way we could wait that long for the next round. I actually had the dates wrong. It wasn't until... earlier this week when MLS got back to kicking off. I think it was like a 16-day break between the playoffs because of that international window. There's nothing MLS can do. You don't want to play through that. We had teams qualifying for the World Cup for crying out loud. It only happens once every four years. I mean, let it go. You know, like, I totally understand. Plus, it gives these teams a good rest. Now, Columbus and Toronto had way too much time to think about their leg one, apparently, because this thing was coached and planned and scratched and clawed down to the nth degree there between those two sides in a nil-nil draw. Immediately, people were firing up on Twitter a few days ago after the game ended, and we're just like, oh, Denholm, see, this game was so lame. It was so boring. It wasn't. I'm sorry. Even my great producer, Mario Rees, first thing he said, oh, it was a boring game. You're wrong. You're wrong, Rees. It wasn't. No, look, it did not have the fireworks of the world of the Western Conference final, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But I start with the East because the Eastern Conference is clearly better than the West. Flat out, without a doubt, they've been dominant all year, and it's proving itself out in the postseason, even with a nil-nil game in Columbus, and I'll tell you why. Both these teams, Columbus and Toronto, know if they win the East, MLS Cup is theirs to lose. They'll have that home field advantage. That's big for a one-off game. Remember, these Western and Eastern Conference Finals are two legs. Okay, love that in the world of football, right? We all love the two-leg tie. But for MLS Cup, you got to go with just the one game. At the home side, who had the better record in the, in the regular season? Now, Columbus and Toronto. Of course, Toronto did. They were set the record for points. But Columbus had a better record than anybody in the West, even as, like, what, the fourth or fifth seed in the East? That's how dominant the East was. So these two teams know if we win the East, we are the favorites to win MLS Cup. There were other factors that made this such a tight game. Most notably, as you know, Toronto FC was out was without their two best scorers. Sebastian Jovinko, who is the best player in MLS, and Josie Altidore, who's pretty darn good. So you did not think. Now, I know people might have thought, well, Toronto, they're in deep trouble. They better just take some chances then. They got to get that road goal. No. Toronto needed a draw. And why do you say, why do I say that? Because it doesn't matter if they didn't score at home. It could come back to bite them. 
But the whole point is they got to win at home now. That's it. Just win at home. You had your two best players out. You went on the road and got a draw. I don't care if it would have been 5-5 or nil-nil. Now, 5-5 is better, of course, because of the road goals. I get that. And not having a road goal, everybody seems to panic over. However, if you're Toronto, you've got to go in with the attitude, let's go win, let's go play football in that second leg. That's a good thing. It's going to set up for a beautiful second leg. What happens if Columbus scores first? Fantastic. That'll open the game up immediately, right? I mean, I can't wait for the second leg of that. It's set up perfectly for an incredible game. Toronto just has to go win. They can't rely on a draw because it's unlikely it'll be another nil-nil. If they draw with anything other than nil-nil, they lose. They're out. So Toronto has to play for the win. It's perfect. It's set up perfectly. And now, no disrespect to Columbus. Look, they couldn't get a goal, probably should have at home, and should have won that game. But they had some chances. Columbus is certainly a team that's capable. You saw what both goalkeepers were capable of, too. A couple of big saves for both. Bono and Zach Steffen. Or Bono, I don't know, however you want to pronounce that. If you want to be cool, it's Bono for uh, Toronto and Zach Steffen. They're both young kids, too, by the way. Both young American keepers. And the defenses were tough to break down. Look, people immediately, you look at a scoreline, and if you're a little naive, you think nil-nil. Okay. Now, some of the game was ugly at times. Yeah, it's a playoff game where neither team wants to give up a goal. I get it. But, man, there were times in that Eastern Conference final leg one where they were pinging that ball around. Both teams. They were absolutely on point offensively at times. Now, remember, they had a two-week layoff. Plus. So it took them a little time to get back into it. A little ragged. But by the uh, end of that game, teams were pinging that ball around. And there were stretches there where I thought for sure we'd see a goal or two or three. Just didn't quite happen. Okay. I will guarantee you that second leg is going to be incredible. Cold, Toronto, sold out BMO Field. It is going to be unbelievable because Toronto has to win now. It's set up perfectly. Look, we could have we could have sit here and uh, talk about, well, you know, boy, Toronto won 1-0 on the road. It's pretty much over. I don't want that. I'm a neutral. I really don't care who wins. I want the best leg two I can going into it, and this is perfect. It sets up utterly perfect. You get all those players back, all that talent back, all that DP money you spent on Jovinko and Josie Altator. Hopefully they learned their lesson, although with Josie, which seems to happen time and time again, I, this guy, he's got a bit of a hard head, it seems. I don't know how he keeps letting this stuff happen. And Javinko was just as stupid, frankly, to get his uh, couple of yellows. It wasn't like he got the red card like Altidore did, but Javinko was just as dumb. These guys have got to be better than that. Javinko doesn't really have that history as much as Altidore in terms of that kind of stuff, where you're kind of like, oh boy, I don't know what he's going to do next kind of thing but these two got to smarten up this is the best team in mls history smarten up and win the cup don't waste another chance like you did last season when you lost the home game of the final to seattle as we turn to the western conference final houston hosting seattle and the sounders came in knowing they could probably get a result houston's a a, a fine team they had such a weird uh, regular season with the whole you know the flooding Obviously, and the hurricane stuff and everything kind of threw off all of Houston for far greater reasons than stupid sports, right? But Houston had a weird regular season, doing no small part to that. 
but they are a team that has so much talent. Seattle knew they could probably go in and get something. They get that early goal. Gustav Svensson, what a week he's had, or 10 days. Dude from Sweden, right? He goes and he helps lead Sweden, plays in games against Italy to get to the World Cup, flies back, and oh, by the way, scores the first goal of the Western Conference Final. Yeah, not a bad week. Not a bad week if you can make that happen for yourself. And then Jalil, Jalil Anibaba has to foul the Sounders in the box after a great, great distribution pass from Nico Lodero to spring things on a counterattack, which Houston got caught out and never should have happened. But they give up the red card and the PK. The PK is saved, amazingly enough. But then Will Bruin gets a goal late in the first half. With Everybody thinks, okay, it's done now. 2-0. Houston had chances. And I was starting to scream at the television as I was watching and trying to tell Wilmer Cabrera through my TV set, the manager of Houston, don't allow the third goal, Wilmer. Don't worry about the first goal at home. And that's what it was really amazing. Houston kept pressing, 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 putting an offensive substitute, really willing to go forward and try to get back into the series, quote-unquote, when in reality they needed to keep it 2-0. Because you're going to have to go to Seattle and at a minimum score two goals anyway. Don't give up the third. Now, see, everybody will think, well, they got to get a goal, Denham. they got to get a goal. They still would need two goals in Seattle to win the series. Right? Because of the away goals at Seattle, you cannot give up that third away goal. That would have been the death of it. And despite the fact Houston kept pressing, they didn't give up the third goal, thankfully, for Houston. And the Dynamo had to make some defensive stops late. It was really precarious. They really should have tightened up that last 10 minutes. And you know me, I love offense. I'm always an advocate of a 4-3 game. But in that particular situation, I thought Cabrera, who I love, I think he's a fabulous manager. He needed to pull back. They needed to not give up that third late in that game. And thankfully they didn't, despite the fact they really weren't trying to not give up a goal. They were trying to score. Now, what is it set up? Well, Houston has to go to Seattle and win 3-1. Denholm, that's impossible. No, it's not. Houston has got a lot of attacking weapons. I know Albert Ellis is going to be out with that second yellow, and he's a good, good, solid player, but Houston has a lot of of attacking options on that team. Their depth is incredible. Cabrera knows what he's doing coaching that team. I believe Houston's going to have to come out and fly around. It's going to be a great second leg, right? We've got two second legs that are now set up to be perfect football, potentially. Yes, Seattle can bunker in a little bit at 2-0, at home, of course. But you know what? You know as well as I do. You bunker in for too long, you're giving up goals. It's going to happen against a good team. Seattle cannot come in with a mentality of 90 minutes of pure D. So I believe it sets up another great second leg. Houston's got to come in and score three goals, at least. Go get them. And Houston can do it. Now, are the odds stacked against them? Of course. Have I picked Toronto and Seattle since the playoffs began? Yes, I did. Am I stick? Of course I'm sticking with it. They're the two teams that are the best teams. And Seattle has, what, 90% chance? Whatever it is. Which I don't even buy into those things because they have to play the game. But you get my point. It is a long shot Houston is going to get out of this series now after that 2-0 loss at home, but they can do it. Mark my words, Houston can score enough and can be dangerous enough. But you really love what Nico Ladero brings to Seattle. He's just a winner. That midfield, that guy is so good. Look, Sebastian Jovinko is the best player in MLS, and it's proven that. 
But Lodero takes a back seat to no one. He's right up there. And this guy is just a winner. He is always ready to perform for Seattle. He, he basically grabbed them by the scruff of the neck and won them a cup last season. And now this season, he's poised to potentially do the same thing as they look like they're a, a surefire bet to make MLS Cup for a second straight season. Unbelievable run for Nico Lodero and Seattle Sounders. Really, I'm ex- super excited for the second legs of these MLS playoffs. I'm also super excited to talk to the guy we love to talk to here. Coming up, it's Sebastian Salazar from ESPN and ESPN FC. He'll join me next. It's Soccer Weekly. I'm Dave Denholm, and you are listening to ESPN LA 710. It is Soccer Weekly on ESPN LA 710, the home of world football here in Southern California. I'm Dave Denholm, and you are listening to the best soccer show in all the world, and it's only made better when we have guests like our friend Sebastian Salazar from ESPN FC, who joins us now. Seb, thanks so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Let's dive right in to the Major League Soccer playoffs that we have seen so far. Leg one completed earlier on the week in both the Eastern and Western conferences. We'll wait leg two coming up next week. Let's start in the East. Seb, I thought this, uh, everybody thought this game was such a drab game. I really thought Toronto had no other choice considering the kind of uh, as underhanded as they were coming in without Jovinko and Josie Altidore. I thought they played pretty well in Columbus. Yeah, they definitely executed uh, the the game plan. I I don't think anybody expected them to come out high flying. You know, some people might have looked back and and seen that regular season game where without Javinko, without Altidore, you know, they were able, Toronto was able to beat the crew 5 0 and thought that maybe that was something that could be replicated. But, you know, I think for as free flowing as we've seen the crew at times, uh, they were also kind of playing a little bit reined in, a little bit of playoff soccer, a little bit more conservative than we've become accustomed to from Greg Bearhalter. And I think that. You know, that, that fits the, the setup of the playoffs. Um, Major League Soccer's playoffs with the two legs, um, really that first leg is almost guaranteed to be a defensively played draw. Yeah. Uh, and so I think we, we got very much what we expected. There were a few moments where an individual um, act of brilliance could have opened it up. I think Columbus will probably feel like they had more of those moments. I'd agree with that. But they didn't take advantage of them. And going back to Toronto with those guys coming back into the lineup, on top of that, you're going to be missing our tour. Uh, for the crew on yellow card accumulation. I think it's a, it's a really, really big ask. We can't forget how good this TFC team is overall, but definitely at home. That's a huge ask for, for the Columbus crew to, to have, have to go up there without any type of advantage. Yeah, even if I'm a Toronto FC fan, I say to myself, if we can't win a game at home, that's all we have to do. If we can't win a game at home, we don't deserve it. Totally, totally agree. I, I mean, this team is not in the mindset of, squeaking by and, and, and trying to survive the Columbus crew at home. This team, with all their star power, needs to be able to, to put up a couple goals at home and really finish this thing off. I've said from the beginning this is the best team in MLS history. If you go on paper, they proved it throughout the regular season. I've said they're going to win MLS Cup. They obviously weren't dominant against the New York Red Bulls, but even with a meltdown, they were able to survive a team in New York that was pretty hot and playing, I think, pretty well. If not well, at least playing pretty effectively. I think this TFC team is worth the hype that they're getting, and I think that'll be validated in the second leg. They have to, or else we, and I will hold my hand up, I have been really, really wrong about this team all, all along. Well, I'm right there with you. I've said, it, said the same things that you've been uh, mentioning about Toronto. I really believe it's their year. However, in MLS, it's the playoffs. You could get dumped. It's a one-game MLS Cup. You never know. Western Conference, though, said for all the people who said the Eastern Conference Game 1 was boring, the Western Conference Game 1 was everything and anything but. 
Uh, Houston losing at home to Seattle, the uh, defending MLS Cup champions, a 2-0 victory for Seattle Sounders on the road with all the drama with the red card, and then the PK gets missed on that play, but they still get another goal. I really thought, Seb, that uh, Houston actually had a lot of chances, as crazy as it sounds, being down to 10 men. I really believe Houston still has a shot in this second leg. Am I just absolutely nuts? No, because you, you, you know what they have in attack. You know the guys that they have who can kind of individually create something. I think that to say they have a shot is, is fine, and, and I think you're totally right, man. If there's a team that's kind of ruining missed opportunities out of the four that we saw last night, I, I think it's the Houston Dynamo. Not necessarily because they had the most of them, but because it was so oh. critical that they get at least a goal back. I, I don't know if it was Landon Donovan or, or Stuart Holden. One of the guys on the broadcast was saying, man, they have, I think it was Landon was saying they have to get one back before the end of the game. And, and you felt like there were opportunities where Seattle was just a little bit lacking concentration uh, in the final third. Given the, the scenario, the circumstance of the game, I, I thought Seattle would be a, a little bit tighter. But Houston had their chances. Uh, I think they'll have chances in the second leg. What I don't think is that Houston will be able to go up there, send enough bodies forward to trouble a Seattle team that's really good at playing with a lead. Let's yeah. not forget that. Yep. While at the same time not totally exposing themselves at the back, against the team with guys like Lovedo and Dempsey and maybe even a healthy Jordan Morris, guys who can really cause you trouble if they're given space. And I see a lot of space developing early in that game if Houston really tries to push to get a goal and get back into the series. Talking with our friend and a friend of the show here on Soccer Weekly on ESPN LA 710, he is Sebastian Salazar of ESPN and ESPN FC. You can find him on Twitter at Sebi Salazar, Foot, F-U-T. Seb, I really believe Wilmer Cabrera has done amazing things with Houston in terms of putting together a team that, let's not forget, it was dreadful last season. Now, Houston has had history of being good and, and you know certainly has had success but he really has turned this team around into a, a true tacking team but it just goes to show you Seattle's experience I mean they're just as you mentioned they're just so good at playing in any scenario I love what Brian Schmetzer's done with that team as well certainly they could repeat it's just if you look at it the east versus west it's it's clear to me that either Columbus or Toronto is just a clear-cut favorite am I wrong boy uh, uh, Toronto is a clear-cut favorite over anybody in the league for me. So that that goes, but I don't think Toronto and Columbus are on the same level. If it That's is fair. Columbus, That's it fair. comes out of this. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't think Columbus is a clear favorite over Seattle, even given the fact that they would be at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this Seattle team has a level of professionalism, a level of guile. They they seem to figure out situations very well, as the last two postseasons uh, have proven. And I see some. I see some very serious potential issues in the back for Columbus that prohibit me from saying that they're a, they're a clear favorite against uh, anybody from the West. This is not the same Seattle team that limped over the line against Toronto last year. And if they get a guy like Ozzy Alonso back, but even if they don't for MLS Cup, assuming that they do finish this thing off uh, against Houston, I think Seattle has a lot of versatility, guys in midfield that can play different roles with Rodon and Spenson. Uh, and they have certainly enough going forward that that they could really be a problem. I, I think it's, I think in some ways we've been working towards a Seattle-Toronto rematch for a long time because we need to figure out what last year was. Was last year Seattle proving how great they are by being able to win ugly a game they had no business winning, winning, or was it more of a fluke? And is Toronto really the best team over Major League Soccer for most of the last two years? 
uh, and there was just one 90-minute blip or 120-minute blip where Seattle kind of got lucky. That's a good point. We're talking with Sebastian Salazar. And, Seb, I am a guy who, from my perspective, the first-ever MLS team I had anything to do with was going to watch the Columbus crew in my home state when the league began, in the first days of the league, and until I came to L.A. just a year in. So I have a real deep kind of, you know, I guess bias for the crew and all that. What do you make of the situation as an outsider, as a you know, at least from an outside perspective on the Columbus crew, the whole Austin v. Columbus kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I, just to be direct, I'm really sad about it. Mm-hmm. I think the league is flirting with a precedent that is really dangerous. And, and I'll kind of, you know, call the league out here because I'm not surprised that um, a billionaire investor businessman wants to do what he thinks is best for his business. That no. doesn't surprise me at all. Whatever the collateral damage of that might be to the fans um, isn't really the, the businessman's concern. If it's better for business, fine. Um, but the league here does have a, a, a commitment to its fans. It puts Columbus Crew fans in the advertisements at the beginning of the year, stand up. It champions this supporters' culture as this great dif- differentiator in, in what MLS is about. And then we're going to turn around and let somebody walk away from that. Uh, a team and a group of fans that's been faithful while MLS was, was limping along and, and trying to make a name for itself and was in places far worse than it is today. Now we're going to walk away from, from Columbus Crew and that fan base. I think it's really an unacceptable precedent to set. And I hope that before this deal to Austin or wherever it might be that they end up taking the crew away from, because it really seems like Anthony Precourt is just hell-bent on getting this thing out of Columbus. Um, I, I hope some cooler heads at Major League Soccer prevail and think about who they're really beholden to. Sure. Um, and if it's one franchise owner, that's fine. But they're going to alienate a lot of people. And it's not just fans. It's people in the media that have gone to bat for this league time and time again. And if, if the league in this moment of truth turns its, turns its back on the fans, that's not on Anthony Precourt. That's on everybody at MLS offices. And one final thing, Seb, what do you make of LAFC so far? And obviously it's very early. They're just getting things going. Overall, what do you what do you think of this second franchise in Los Angeles and how they're about to shape themselves? Well, first things first, we have to say we have very little to go on, right? But I think uh, if you look at the branding and the people that are involved, and you guys would have – I was just out in L.A., but but you guys being there would have a much better sense of – of how what it means, how A, difficult it is, and, and B, the specific mechanisms to being relevant in Los Angeles. Yeah. And I think with the Magic Johnson connection, with the Will Ferrell connection, they have, and, and maybe that's my perspe- perspective as an outsider, I might be wrong, but they, to me, seem to have very much um, created an identity that is L.A. cool. And I think that'll matter a lot in the L.A. market. I don't think, as I think I've said on this show before, that you could have a better D.P., maybe Chicharito than Carlos Vela for a team like this. I mean, he's, he's literally the, the perfect guy to come in and, and launch this thing. Um, and I like, the, I like the Bob Bradley hire. I, I think, you know, there are some people, um, you know, we've seen somebody like Atata Martino come in, and that was really sexy. And, and I think LAFC could have done something like that in the international sphere. But you also want to have success right away. And even though Atlanta did that, and they did that with major investment in players, it was a gamble bringing Tata Martino. Martino here. And I think maybe the folks at LAFC don't see as much wiggle room um, as maybe the folks or don't see the opportunity to to swing and miss on a head coach like maybe the folks in Atlanta did. 
you know, there's more, it's a more competitive market, not just because of the galaxy and maybe, in fact, maybe least of all because of the galaxy, but because of all the other stuff, both sports and non-sports that's going on. So I think it's, um, it's really smart to get a guy in Bob Bradley who you know um, is going to know this league and pretty quickly should be able to start churning out results despite the fact that he's building a team from scratch. Sebastian Salazar, ESPN and ESPN FC, a friend of the show. We always enjoy talking to him. Seb, I promise we'll have you back soon once Ligia gets a little deeper involved here as we get a little closer to a title in uh, Liga MX. And uh, so much uh, so much to get to every week. I feel like we could keep talking, but I really appreciate your time as always, Seb. Thanks so much, and it's uh, great stuff. No worries, no worries. I know you why you didn't want to talk League on that because Pachuca's not in it. Ah, I know. It's killing me. <laughs> My boys are not in it. But uh, thanks so much to Seb Salazar, Sebastian Salazar at ESPN FC. Check out his work there. I know you do. Check him out on Twitter. It's a great follow, at Sebi Salazar, Foot F-U-T. Always a pleasure. Appreciate it. When we come back, still to come, LAFC, we talked a little bit about it with Seb. Going to break down some of these moves and take a look at what's going on at the club, who's about, uh, as I look out the window here, about a, eh, two miles away from where I'm sitting. It, that and so much more. It's Soccer Weekly with Dave Dunholm on ESPN LA 710. Having a good time like we do each and every week here on Soccer Weekly on ESPN LA 710. Brought to you by Puente Hills Toyota. Puente Hills Toyota. Check them out for your new 2017 Toyota Camry LA. Puente Hills Toyota. Dot com. I am Dave Denholm, and you are listening to the home of world football here in Southern California, Soccer Weekly. And you can hit me up on the show, as always, on Twitter, at TalkSoccer. You can follow me on Instagram, Dave underscore Denholm, spelled like my name. As always, we love to uh, continue the conversation after the show each and every week. Now, thanks so much. I want to remind all the loyal listeners, thank you so much for finding us each and every week with all the Lakers stuff going on. ESPN LA 710 is loaded with stuff. USC, football, basketball, the Lakers are in, in fine form and full swing here in the season. So we have get moved around a little bit because of the scheduling. I truly appreciate everybody for checking us out. As always, though, if you miss something, don't forget, you can check out the podcast. The show is immediately podcasted after it airs. The guys here, Mario and all the uh, guys who work here, Jorge and everybody else, I pr- truly appreciate all their hard work, Michael Funches, and they get the uh, podcast up virtually immediately. Go to iTunes, search Soccer Weekly, subscribe, rate, and review, right? Those are the three words you're supposed to say, subscribe, rate, and review, and I've been uh, really appreciative of everybody who's done that. I need more of that, and uh, the show is blowing up, truly, and so you, you don't want to miss it. If you don't happen to catch it live, which you all should and you are now, so I appreciate that. Check it out on the podcast. Tell your friends who are all over the country. I'm getting a word from everywhere. People listening and enjoying the show. So I'd really appreciate that. Thanks so much to Sebastian Salazar. It's always good to talk to our buddy Seb at ESPN and ESPN FC. You can check him out on Twitter at Sebi Salazar Foot, F-U-T. He is a great follow there as well. I do want to dive deeper into the LAFC stuff. I asked him about it a little bit just from an outsider's perspective. By that, I mean he's back on the East Coast quite often. He comes to L.A., a little bit, but he doesn't have that perspective of a Angelino necessarily, as he admitted. I wanted to get a feel for what he's thinking of LAFC at a, a broader strokes when it comes to MLS from a guy who knows Major League Soccer. Now we got to dig deeper. LAFC is making moves, and now they're starting to build, right? And we uh, we have to start digging into this a little bit. One move that just happened that is done is the lone move for a defender, Omar Jabber. Plays in uh, played at Basel, FC Basel, a uh, Swiss side that I'm very familiar with. I love the Swiss League. I have a team in the Swiss League because I went, happened to visit there once and watch a game there. Fascinating story about Swiss football, by the way, real quick, off, off track here. He plays for uh, – Jabber was playing uh, – bought by FC Basel last season. 
coming from his Egyptian team. Of course, Bob Bradley, the manager of LAFC, knows Jabber from the Egyptian national team. A good connection there. That's all the way football works. He knows what to expect out of this this uh, right defender and sometimes defensive midfielder. Well, just a little sidetrack. The Swiss Super League. I, I may have told the story on the air already once, but we went to a game. My wife and I were in Paris once uh, a few years ago for a big anniversary, one of those days. She wanted me to see a European football game, right? She, she doesn't particularly love sports, but, you know, she loves me, I guess, and uh, wanted me to go to a game. So we looked up uh, in Paris, and PSG was out of town that week or something. This is around, uh, I don't know, towards the end of the season, let's say May kind of. So PSG just happened to be out of town the week and a half we were there. Uh, Paris FC, which is a lower division club, wasn't in town that week. I would have even just gone to that. So we decided to, to change the trip up as I looked at the schedule months in advance. And at the end of the trip, we were going to go to Switzerland. And I picked out a team, middle of Switzerland, called Luzerne. Right? Town in Switzerland, uh, about an hour and a half train ride outside of Zurich. And I thought, yeah, let's go. There's this beautiful ho- hotel there. We'll stay on this Lake Luzerne, and we'll go to a game in the middle of this little small, you know, town. It's first division, top flight football. You know, not a super small town. It's kind of a relatively well known tourist spot. Uh, they got a cute, cool couple of cool things there. Had a casino right next to the hotel, but you know, I digress. Uh, that's how that's how much I was into the scenery. I didn't even go to the casino to gamble. I mean, didn't even go. Right next door to the to our hotel, this beautiful hotel, beautiful casino. Didn't even go. I was too worried about the football and just hanging out. So we go to the football match, and Luzerne is uh, on the verge of making the Europa League that season. Uh, you know, it's third, fourth in the uh, Swiss Super League. They're in the final match of the season, a home match. And uh, it's funny. We, we were outside, and everybody kept asking about me with my L.A. Galaxy scarf because I ended up buying a Luzerne scarf, but I had my Galaxy stuff. And all these kids probably in their early 20s and working at the stadium. Everybody's like, what are you doing here? You're from L.A. Why are you know, And they were asking me about the Galaxy and like the L.A. Lakers, of course, and everything. So we had a good good chat with people. But my wife decides, oh, you know, the match is about to start. She's going to go to the restroom, whatever, before the match. And it's funny because in, in uh, well, I guess in this particular town, very few women go to the games, amazingly enough. She said there was no line. Like, I had to wait in line at the men's room. And she had, like, the whole women's restroom to herself, which is totally the opposite of sports here in America for women. And I thought it was just hilarious. But another thing that was fascinating is they segregate the fans. As you know, in European football, some of the you know, fans come traveling. There was actually fences in the concourses, not, at the, not down by the, sta- the state of the field, in the concourses. You could not mix with the other fans. They would bring the fans in from that team right into that segment. And so the fans were at the gate pointing at each other and yelling at each other through like a, essentially a, a chain link fence, but a steel, like a heavy chain link fence. And the fans were like go getting into it in Switzerland, like a neutral country. And they were just going at each other. Like it was like the, the, the beginning of the end here with this one final game of the season. It was pretty incredible, actually. And it just gives you the perspective of how much they love their football over there. I mean, we love it here, of course, on Soccer Weekly. And you know that. But, oh, my goodness. I mean, even in a town in Switzerland where they're battling for fourth place or whatever, they're just screaming at each other. It was incredible. What an incredible scene. And it was fascinating because my wife's like, you know, I'm not, there's not that many women around here coming to this game. And I'm like, yeah, there really aren't. So it was just, uh, yeah, interesting. And, again, no issues in the stands. There were no fights or anything. It was just kind of not even good-natured. It was a little rough, but, like, there was no – they didn't intermingle or get in any fights or anything like that by any means. It wasn't any kind of hooliganism, but it was fascinating that even in Switzerland – they just love their team so much that they're going to go at it with the opposing sides. And so all of that to say, 
Get back to LAFC with this uh, young man, Omar Jabber, who comes from FC Basel. Didn't get a lot of playing time there. I love the move because it's a loan move, as my great producer Mario Rees pointed out. It's a loan move. Bring him in for the season. If the guy works out, there's probably, I don't know this for sure, there may be a mechanism where they can, you know, the loan move with the option to buy. Potentially they do that a lot, as you know, in world football. So we'll see how he works out as a young, what, 25-year-old, relatively young, still in his career, although not young in football years. So he's experienced. He's a good, solid move if it's not a designated player move, right? And being on loan, it's highly doubtful that that's a DP move. We already know Carlos Vela takes up one spot. They're looking. We'll talk more about Diego Rossi from Peñarol. But this is a good move. Solidify that that defensive feeling. We've talked to John Thorington a few times, and you can tell that that's something he wants to do for sure is to make sure, as important as it is for LAFC to grab guys like Vela and maybe Diego Rossi if they can work that out, it's important to build that offense with your big money in MLS. You still got to have that solid core defensively, no doubt, especially for an expansion side. You cannot afford to get your doors blown off before you even really get started. Before you learn to run, you got to walk, right? You cannot afford to be going out there losing 5-0. So it's a good move that way. I like Jabber's experience. I like the fact that he's connected with Bob Bradley. He knows Bradley. Bradley knows him. That is a good, solid sign and a smart move by LAFC. Now, LA Times' Kevin Baxter does a great job covering both the Galaxy and LAFC and all things football here in Southern California. He is reported, I think he tweeted out recently about the Diego Rossi deal with Peñarol down in Uruguay. And the deal is... It's not hitting snags so much as it's hitting the typical snags, meaning they're not quite done with some things going on there. So as much as everybody's hoping, and we even heard from uh, Thorrington last last show, last week, saying, no, it's not done, you know, we have nothing new to report kind of thing. Now, Penderol, I've been watching the Uruguayan League more and more, and ever since the Rossi uh, rumors came out, I've been uh, able to see Penderol play. I, I don't know. I've got some channel that I could somehow get the Uruguayan League. I don't know. I mean, my wife... Let me order a bunch of soccer channels. I don't even know what's going on. But I somehow have the Uruguay League, and I watch it now more and more. And Penarol's very good. They're unbeaten so far. I think they're, what, 12 straight to start the season? And I got to tell you, ever since I've been watching this team, this Rossi kid, holy cow, he is the real deal. And it makes me a little nervous, if I'm being honest, that this deal is not sewn up and done and I'll tell you why because I guarantee you some other teams are probably starting to sniff around with this kid and I don't mean MLS teams just I mean big teams Diego Rossi is good 19 years old I've been watching Peñarol they've been using him out on the right wing I don't know how LAFC envisions him certainly he kind of plays up front you know almost like a three-man attacking line he's definitely an attacker He's out on the right wing a lot. Not a true midfielder, in my estimation, as I look at his talents. But the kid's got everything. Speed, quickness, skill, vision. Not afraid to pass the football. Not afraid to go a goal. I think he's got almost double-digit goals for Peñarol. 19 years old. And here is my imploring to LAFC right now. I'm speaking right to John Thorrington, right to Will Farrell, right to Henry Wynn, right to Peter Goober, and all the 30 owners of LAFC. Sign this kid as soon as you can. Get the deal done. Yeah, Denholm, no kidding. Easier said than done. Get it done. I don't care if it's difficult. 
Now, there's been reports of a $3 million transfer fee all the way up to like four and a half, which could include, in fact, his DP salary. Kind of, you know how these stories sometimes break. Remember when David Beckham signed for $250 million? I mean, you get it. Sometimes the money fluctuates based on who's reporting it. Get the deal done, LAFC. I've seen enough. This kid is special. And again, it may be why there are some snags in the deal. Because there's a good chance, and I don't know this for fact by any means, there's a good chance Panyarol is starting to hear from more teams than just LAFC about Diego Rossi. Because this 19-year-old is the real deal. And now I've seen enough. I've seen enough to know I've seen too much. <laughs> this kid can play. And I, I really believe, and I don't. again, I don't know what LAFC's plans are, if they were to sign him, if that deal does get done, where they would play him, how they – it doesn't matter. You put him up front. He can be a striker. He can play off of someone. He can play on that wing. Kind of that Aryan Robin kind of positioning, meaning he really doesn't have much defensive worry. Let's go. Let's get forward. Even though he's starting from the wing, he's not afraid to cut it back and attack from the middle. He can use both feet from what I can see. If there's a deficiency... And I'm going to be an honest guy here. I'm not just uh, I'm not sitting here telling you he's the next Leo Messi. If there's a deficiency, he needs to get a little stronger. He definitely can be uh, worked off the ball at times. And MLS is a strong, physical kind of league. So it'll take a little bit of time there, potentially. But this kid is the real deal. That is my imploring of you. The day after Thanksgiving, your Christmas gift, LAFC fans. Tell this club, get it done. Get the deal done. He is worth far more than $3 million. And I hope Penyarol doesn't listen to the podcast. I know they do down there. I'm hoping they skip this week because I don't want them to hear this. But he, this kid is the real deal. And I hope that LAFC, for MLS's sake, for LAFC fans' sake, and for LA football, Los Angeles soccer, to see a kid like this play will be something special. I really believe that from what I've seen now and uh, had a chance to watch Penyarol really specifically, and, and Diego Rossi specifically. Soccer Weekly, Dave Dunn home with you. Hang it out here on ESPN LA 710, brought to you by Puente Hills Toyota. Hit us up on Twitter, at Talk Soccer. we got so much more to get to. It's one of my favorite times. You know how it is. It's the favorite, uh, best thing of the show. Stop, it's time. Coming up, Soccer Weekly on the home of world football here in Southern California, ESPN LA 710. Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710, brought to you by Puente Hills Toyota. I am Dave Dethelm, and you are listening to the home of world football here in Southern California. Hit me up on Twitter, at Talk Soccer, as you might imagine, spelled just like it sounds. We have been breaking down and working up the minutia that is the world's game, and we continue on. This is a very interesting story coming out of uh, earlier in the week, the Eastern Conference final leg one in Columbus with Columbus and Toronto. We've been talking about that. We talked about it with our guest, Sebastian Salazar, earlier in the show breaking it down in the first segment we talked about the game itself but this is an interesting story that came out afterwards with michael bradley the uh, captain and the big shot american uh, player out of uh, toronto fc playing uh, in that game talking to the media afterwards not about the game itself the media took the opportunity to ask him about columbus and of course the move to, we've been talking about it everybody's been talking about the possible move to austin and the the kind of the situation that crew uh, the crew as, a, as an organization and more importantly their fans are in it's limbo so they asked Michael Bradley about it. Now, he was booed by the crowd every time he touched the ball, and we talked about that here on the show. I love that. Love it. Dude uh, cost us a World Cup. <laughs> Boo him. That's fine by me. 
So I don't know if maybe maybe Bradley's comments are a little bit clouded by, you know, being upset about that. He said he didn't really care about that. And frankly, Bradley's enough of a pro that I think he's probably, you know, not lying about that. He's upset about not making the World Cup, but he doesn't care if some fans boo him. Fine, boo him. But then he was asked, and this is from an article on ESPN FC earlier in the week, and uh, kind of recapping this, and it's by Jeff Carlisle, our friend. And uh, he uh, was asked, according to the article, uh, on the thoughts of, you know, Columbus moving potentially with the owner, Anthony Precourt, announcing the possibility of going to Austin, Texas. And here's a couple of quotes I want to read. This is from Michael Bradley, quote, on the one hand, you feel for the small group of loyal supporters that that have, who have been here since the beginning, who continue to support the team and come out week after week, unquote. 100% 100% right, right? Those, what, 15,000, 16,000 that they average every game that come out, the season ticket holders, the loyal Columbus crew fans that probably number many more than just the people who come to games, absolutely feel for him. I think he's spot on, right? He continues. This is Bradley, quote, On the other hand, you can't deny the fact that things here have fallen behind in terms of the atmosphere in the stadium, the quality of the stadium, what it's like to play here. I don't know who is at fault for that, From what I gather, there's a lot going on, and I get that. But as an outsider, I don't know what that falls on. But again, the reality is just that as the league has continued to grow and grow, this isn't the only one. This is one of a few markets that has not kept pace, unquote. And, you know, and the more I read that, I'll whisper it because I got a lot of fans in Columbus who listen to the podcast, but he's not wrong. And that's not necessary. Again, that's not the fault of those dudes and uh, the men and women buying those yellow jerseys and putting them on their backs and going to games. You cannot fault the true Columbus Crew fan. But the market, the soccer market, has fallen behind. And I hate to tell people who don't want to admit this, but a soccer market is bigger than the diehard people. It has to be. For instance, in LA. This is one of the biggest soccer markets in the world. The LA Galaxy don't just need diehards to go to their games. Quite the contrary. There's a lot of people that go to LA Galaxy games that like going to a great sporting event. They take their family. They're not diehards. They don't know who Roman Alessandrini is or where he came from. They love going to the Galaxy games. And that's not to say people in Columbus aren't doing that. Not enough of them are. The market has dwindled. It has. Now, I'm not even saying it's dwindled. It hasn't grown the same way that other markets have. And maybe that's just not a possibility in Columbus. But Michael Bradley's not wrong. Now, he's going to get castigated for these remarks. He's going to be made the scapegoat. But he's not wrong, necessarily. It's sad. I want Columbus crew to stay. Make no mistake about that. But I want that market to grow with that team. And if that can't happen then MLS has to look at other options. That's just the way it is in professional sport. And I might be in the minority. I know Sebastian Salazar was talking about it. He's upset about it. I'm upset about it. But you have to be realistic. Nobody was shedding tears when the San Jose Clash moved to Houston. And then the earthquake, you know, the earthquakes came right back. And I know I I hate San Jose, but I'm glad they're there to hate. (laughs) So I don't want Columbus to move. Make no mistake about it. But there are issues there. And this would not be the first team in American professional sport to move. Hey, let's get right to it. I'm sorry. I I could go on for that for hours. But interesting stuff from Michael Bradley. That will make an interesting leg, too, certainly coming up in the second leg of that series going on in Toronto. But as always, it's our favorite time of the show. It's stoppage time.
The great Mario Rees, producer here of Soccer Weekly on ESPN LA 710, joining me for stoppage time as he does each and every week. Mario, nice to hear you. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Same Dave. to you, brother. I hope yours was good. Always, always. All right, so uh, it's so good to see Zlatan Ibrahimovic uh, make his return after that uh, knee injury that kept him out for about seven months. But in the words of uh, Ibra, lions don't recover like humans. <laughs> Gotta love that. This guy is hilarious. <laughs> he really is. What'd you think of his return to the well, Manchester United? It is amazing that he's already back, realistically, from that uh, horrific knee injury. So he is amazing. Don't get me wrong. In amazing shape. He's too. got a little bit of a lion heart in him. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's incredible. But he's Zlatan. Zlatan's good as Zlatan. And, you know, I'm just, it makes me mad that he's not in MLS. That's the only thing. Like, it's good for him that he's back. It's good for world football. He's a great character. I just wish he was here. I hear you, brother. It's not going to happen. All right, so Cristiano Ronaldo, he's not too happy with the media right now. Uh, He's accusing the media of twisting his words around, and he declined to be interviewed after his uh, match in the Champions League on Tuesday. He says, I'm not talking. As when I talk, I'm not understood. And then you media talk about something I did not even say. I guess he's, uh, he's upset after uh, his comments that he made about uh, Real Madrid's weekend squad, and it led to a public disagreement with Captain Sergio Ramos. Wow. Yeah, yeah. you know what? Here's the thing about these stories. Uh, you know, I'm a member of the media. I'm not really a journalist. I'm an entertainer. But normally I would uh, be quick to defend. Cristiano Ronaldo is 100% right. The media over there, far worse than they are here in America. People just don't understand. Now, you as a soccer fan do if you're listening to Soccer Weekly. But I've seen it time and time again, Mario. The media will ask a question over there only to specifically want to twist the answer, in other words. Hey, Cristiano Ronaldo, what do you think of Major League Soccer? I think it's a growing league. I love America. You know, I think Ronaldo wants to leave Real Madrid. You know, that's the highlight the next day, <laughs> yeah. right? You know what I mean? Like, you can see he can't say anything right. Now, it's not just Cristiano Ronaldo, but, of course, he's in the spotlight more than any other player, virtually, including Lionel Messi. Frankly, Ronaldo, you would argue, is the biggest like media-driven soccer player to be. You know, like he's he's out there more than yeah. you know Messi with his businesses and all his other stuff going on. And so, you know, Ronaldo could say, "Yeah, I really love the weather in LA." Shock news: He wants to leave Real Madrid for the Galaxy or, or LAFC. Like that would be the headline. They twist everything, it seems. And of course, I'm exaggerating a bit, but I don't blame him. You know, you have to kind of back away sometimes if it's going to cause you too much grief. I can't blame him. I think he's right. Dave, what is up with Caleb Porter uh, deciding to leave his job as coach of the Portland Timbers? I mean, it's kind of strange here. They, uh, they had a talented roster, an owner who's willing to spend money. The crowd is amazing there. Any idea why he would leave this job in uh, Portland? Yeah, there's been a lot of speculation on this. It's a fascinating move, really. I think it's another kind of indication that MLS is growing up, by the way. We're becoming more and more like the soccer world, for good or bad. You see the story of Columbus potentially moving. You see a Caleb Porter quitting or you know, resigning on a team that's really in, in you know, great shape by all accounts, certainly uh, you know, has won an MLS Cup title. As Mario said, they had a good year and all that, great stadium, great fans, unbelievable fan support. But, you know, look, Caleb Porter is a human being that has his own personal interest at heart, too. Who knows? There have been rumors that he's going to just take a year off and maybe be in line for another job, potentially, or wait to see what happens. That can be the case. Maybe he needs a break. Maybe, you know what? Maybe he's, maybe everybody's tired of hearing him, too, in Portland. You know, they, I don't know Caleb Porter personally by any means. I've never interacted with him. I, I want to say that out front. But he strikes me as a dude who could get on your last nerve, potentially. So maybe it's just a case of, 
all right, I'm kind of sick of you. You're kind of sick of me. Time to move on. We ended on a good note, right, potentially. I mean, a Portland Timbers organization has said nothing but nice things about him going. He is certainly not going to bash the Portland Timbers. They've been a great organization to him. Okay, time to move on. I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily. If they feel like, uh, if he feels like he cannot give 100% to what he's been doing and to the same level, and maybe he's looking, you know, he's got a wandering eye a bit, yeah, time to go. You know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like I said, Mario, I think that's actually an indication that MLS is growing up a bit, too, that a guy like this feels confident that he's done enough with this team that either he's going to latch onto another team potentially. There's been some rumblings about FC Cincinnati joining MLS. You know, Caleb Porter, of course, spent time at the University of Akron. He knows Ohio. He had a lot of success there before going to Major League Soccer. Maybe he wants to go back there. I mean, that's all speculation. Maybe he would have more power. Because you got to remember, a lot of times in, in sports, Mario, as you know, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but these guys want power, not just to be a coach. Sometimes they want to be, you know, they want to be more responsible for making personnel decisions. And that wasn't the case in Portland with him. I'm not saying that's the reason, but maybe that's what he'll look for in the next job, that he's, he feels he's at that level where, okay, if I'm going to be the manager of this team and I'm going to live or die with the roster, I want to put together that roster. And we're seeing it with a lot of teams. I mean, the Galaxy are handing Siggy Schmidt a whole lot of power. They've got his son in there now running as the director of scouting. You know, Siggy Schmid is in control of the L.A. Galaxy on the field. Whatever you see on the pitch now, that's not just Siggy Schmid manager. He's basically running the show. So I think a lot of managers want that, and maybe Caleb Porter feels he's at a point and there's going to be a situation where he can grab that kind of power and determine who he has on the pitch. Because Portland, you know, look, for all of it, they didn't have the greatest season this season. Maybe he sees the handwriting on the wall a little bit. The team's getting a little older, too. Maybe it's a good time. You know, it's the Pete Carroll thing. Get out while the getting out is good at times. And maybe he'll look for that next gig. Hey, thanks so much to everybody. This has been Stoppage Time. I'm Dave Denholm. I really appreciate it. Check me out on Twitter, at TalkSoccer. Thanks so much to everybody. Go to iTunes, search Soccer Weekly for the podcast, subscribe, rate, and review. We appreciate the folks at Puente Hills Toyota, PuenteHillsToyota.com. Thanks to Adam Bronstein, Michael Funches, and as always, the great producer, my buddy, Mario Rees. I am Dave Denholm, and you have been listening to Soccer Weekly here on the home of world football in Southern California, ESPN LA 710.